0: You're listening to audio from Plankrow Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org.
1: Well, thanks for coming tonight. Uh, You know, Dale had talked to me back, I guess, right around Christmas break about possibly doing a Sunday evening service and kind of heading that up. So we we went back and forth on a little bit on, you know, what do we need to teach through and we kind of landed on Job, so we're going to spend the foreseeable future on just working through the book of Job. Um, it's kind of appealing to me personally just because we don't necessarily, we can set whatever pace we want. And so one of the, I am very fond, and I and I love this place, and I'm fond of having three guys that rotate uh, on Sunday mornings, but sometimes it feels like you know when you, when it's your turn in the rotation there's so much that you got to get crammed in and you're not sure when am i going to get back up here and and so to have the opportunity just to we're just going to open the book and let it speak and do what it does and so you know in my mind just working on an outline i'm thinking at least 10 weeks but we may go we may go longer than that um your feedback is welcome it's encouraged if you're like nah speed it up like we're getting bogged down uh don't be afraid to say that um also just for your benefit and i we may do this more in the future but uh, the notes are on the website and so if you want to study and look at some things like oh i want to look or you didn't feel like you get stuff written down that you want to get written down i'm going to put all the notes on the website so you can print them off use them to study on your own share them Uh, we may share them with the guys in peru uh, just so you have opportunity to to not miss anything but uh Tonight we're just going to do a little background information. We're going to work through the first five verses, so that might really make you nervous. Like, how long is it going to take us to get through Job if we're only going to look at the first five verses? But tonight we're just going to look at the integrity of Job. Look at Job, who he was, uh, what he stood for, and kind of set up the, the whole story and the whole book. And so the first thing is just kind of the question, why Job? You know, why, why is it important that we study the book of Job? And I think that it's important that we look at it for, for a few reasons. The first one is that it provides us a better understanding of who God is. Um, if we look around, it's easy to see that a vast majority of people, I know when I work in the school system uh, with students in particular, it's, it's very clear to see that a lot of people have no clue who God is. They've either got misconception about who God is or they don't think about who God is. And so if we're to be a light in the world, if we're to interact with those people and we're to be God's, you know, representative then it's in our best interest that we know who he is and that we understand him as much as humanly possible. So I think the book of Job gives us a better understanding of who God is, and that's important for us to know. Uh, the second thing is it gives us a better understanding of who Satan is. And I want to I tread lightly here, and next week we'll dive more into this. Uh, it's, it's very important that we don't give Satan too much credit. Um that we don't place too much emphasis on Satan uh, as a whole or in the book of Job because he's a minor character. He's, a, he's truly a minor character in the book, uh, which that's even arguable. Again, we'll get into that next week. But uh, it's important to know who he is, what he believes, and what his plan is. right? And so if we understand that we're in the middle of a spiritual battle uh, and we see this battle on full display in the book of Job, then we need to have an understanding of what that battle is. We need to have an understanding of the big picture, right? And so it's our best un- it's in our best interest to understand, you know, who Satan is, what he's trying to accomplish, and how he's trying to go about it. And then, thirdly, lastly, it's I think it's imp- important because the Book of Job is important because it addresses suffering. Um, obviously, it deals with the suffering of Job, and and a common question, you know, even if you just witness to people, one common question that you might get is, well, why? If, you know if God is so loving then why do people suffer? or why do good people suffer? Um, and while some people would argue that the book of Job answers that question, I'm not sure that it necessarily does, but it does provide us with a few things. It lets us know that we are going to suffer and it shows us how we should handle our suffering and then it also affirms the complete sovereignty of God. And so all three of those things are important to know that we're going to suffer right and then how are we supposed to handle suffering as a believer because we should handle it distinctly different than a non-believer should handle it. Uh, again, if we're supposed to be the ambassador for God, we're not doing a very good job if our suffering looks just like the average Joe suffering. Um, and, not that anybody here wants to hear this, but part of the reason that Job came up in my mind of, let's, let's go to Job, was that I I think suffering's coming. I, th- I think uh, we don't really have... a good idea of what true suffering is, and I think it's coming. Um, if you just hear Dale talk about Peru, you know, and the way that they're locked down, and, and we think about lockdowns, but even our lockdown is just drastically different than what they're experiencing, and all that stuff is eventually going to make its way here. We're going to suffer, and so we need to be prepared for that and understand, you know, how to handle it and how to deal with it, so that's that's why Job, and then if we just lay the groundwork for maybe you're not super familiar with the book, um, it's some of the oldest material in the Bible. Uh, most scholars agree that outside of the first, thir- ele- first 11 chapters of Genesis, it's the oldest material in the Bible. Um, it, without a doubt, it takes place before the nation of Israel is established as God's covenant nation. Uh, there's no mention of the Mosaic Law, uh, which means that the book took place most likely before the life of Moses and potentially before Abraham. Uh, but even if that's the case... It's always been accepted as as part of the canon, as part of Scripture. Um, Prior to Moses, divine laws were still given to men. We see that in Genesis 26, 5, when when God speaks and says, Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. We don't necessarily know what that looks like, but that verse reinforces the fact that, that Abraham spoke with God and understood what God's expectation of him was. And we see that same thing in the life of Job. Um, outside of the Mosaic law had not been established yet, there's still a relationship there. He understands who God is. We don't understand all the details of that, but he understands the expectation that God has for him to be a righteous man. Um, it's also interesting there's no mention of pantheism, polytheism, or any type of idolatry. There's no mention of any kind of other religion in the book of Job. Um, there's, some, there's some thought that none of that really came into place until uh, you know the dispersion at the Tower of Babel. Uh, again, we can't know that for sure, but it appears that, that all of these other religions and the, the, at least the widespread uh, practice of idolatry hadn't fully started to take place at the time of Job. Um, timing. The events of the book are estimated to have taken place around 2000 B.C. in a land called Uz. Uz is also mentioned in Scripture and Lamentations as a part of an, uh, an area called Edom, which places it somewhere south of the Dead Sea all of that stuff is not i don't want to say it's not important but it's it's real value comes in the fact that you need to understand that it was a real place that more than anything you don't you don't i don't think there's a ton of value in a believer being able to walk to a map and say this is where job lived but you need to understand that it was a real place um and then what about job right so tonight i want us to take a deeper look like i said in the first 5 verses of just job who was job you know and how does how does what the Bible tells us about Job, how does that apply to our lives? And so we're going to look at three things tonight, just real quick, in the life of Job. We're first going to look at the integrity of Job, and we're going to look at the... Um, let's just keep... I'll tell you what, Titus, you want to read? I got a Bible right here you can read. It's the same words as that one, probably. <laughs> just read the first five verses here. Start right there.
0: had seven sons and three daughters. His estate includes 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was only the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to make turns having banquets at their homes they would send an
1: invitation it's broken up
0: invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them whenever a round of banqueting was over Job would send for his Children And purified them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Joe thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice.
1: Thanks, sir. Nice job. So those first five verses tell us an awful lot of information about Job. And the first thing I want to look at is his integrity. It speaks a lot about his integrity. The first thing I want you to see there, we kind of talked about that with the country being a real country. The first thing that is crucial is that you understand that Job was a real man. He's an actual real person. This is not a myth. This is not a fable that's written to try to prove a point about God. This is actual true history. Alright? Um, from a from a secular standpoint, archaeologists have found artifacts that tell us that the name Job was a common name in that region during that time period. Okay, so it's it's not it's not outlandish to think that that Job was a real man. More importantly, Scripture confirms to us in multiple places, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that Job was a real man. In Ezekiel fourteen verses twelve through fourteen, it says, "And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when a when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly." And I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. So in this Old Testament passage here, Ezekiel, he's speaking of destruction that's going to come to a land when the people aren't faithful. And he references three righteous men as an example. He he references Noah, Daniel, and Job. And what the prophet's saying is, if, even if these three men lived in this very scenario that I'm talking about, they would only escape with their lives, but the land would still face God's judgment. So I, I don't think, I know, I don't think, I know that Ezekiel is not going to reference Job if Job wasn't a real man, just like Noah was and Daniel was, right? And in the New Testament, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, James is talking about patience. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord... and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And, and uh, James is, is referencing a couple of things here. He's talking about patience. And he's often, 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 ooh, also talking about difficulties, trials and testing. And so he's saying when you encounter these things, you're called to be patient. You're called to be steadfast through them. And he points back. It's like it's like a teacher. He's saying this is what you're supposed to be. And I'm going to prove to you that it can be done because look back at these prophets who did the same thing. If you're familiar with the Old Testament prophets at all, the prophets spoke of God's judgment and wrath, but they also experienced it. The prophet didn't get to proclaim, this is coming, by the way, get ready to deal with it, and I hope you do well because I get to leave, exit stage left, and not have to deal with it. No, he had to live through the same thing. And so James is saying, look at all of those prophets who remained steadfast. God gave them a dreadful message to speak. They were faithful. They did it. They lived through it. And they still proclaim the name of God. So you can too. And then he speaks about Job and says the same thing. You know the story of Job. You know how Job suffered. And yet he remained righteous. He remained faithful. And he continued to worship God. So when you deal with the same difficulties that the prophets dealt with, the same difficulties that Job dealt with, know that you're called to behave the same way and that you're capable of it. That's what he's saying. And so when he uses that example, he's saying Job was a real man. Why would anybody tell you to follow the example of a fairy tale? Nobody would do that. He's telling you, follow the example of this real man. Be patient in trial, just like Job was. So first and foremost, foundational to the whole book is understanding that job is a real man this is a real historical event second thing is job we're told he's a believer in israel's god who was blameless and upright he believed in the one true god and he was a blameless and upright man the first two verses of this chapter clearly tell us that job was a righteous man and it's described in a handful of ways it's not a simple statement it's broken down in a lot of ways it says first he feared god this is the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's Israel's God. That's the God he feared. We're told that he's blameless and upright. A better or more direct translation of that would be he was a complete and straight. So in other words, it's saying there's no fault in this man's character. He's straight as an arrow. He's solid as a rock. He didn't veer off course. He was true to the expectations that God had for him. He was a devout and a moral man. Notice that he's described as turning away from evil, right? So a better way to describe this is he rejected evil. And he didn't just disapprove of it or refuse to take part in it. He recognized evil as what it was and acted against it. There's a big difference. As a believer, we're not called to to steer clear of evil. We're called to not only steer clear, but to point it out and call it out for what it is. So that hopefully we can pull people out of it. So, that tells you, all these young men in the room, you need to hear this, women too, but specifically uh, boys and men, Job was not a passive man. Scripture does not call on believers, specifically men, to be passive. Because a passive man doesn't get it done. The passive man is the man that you see in the culture today that says, well, whatever works for you, I'm going to do my own thing. That's not what a believer is called to do. A believer is called to point out the evil for what it is, to reject it, and to call people out of it. And the passive man will never do that. The passive man just allows things to happen. And what we allow one generation to do, the next generation is going to fully embrace it. It says, Job was a man above the reproach of men. It just means that he established a righteous reputation, right? He believed all of God's word, whatever he knew of it. Like, we don't know what he had, but whatever he had, he believed all of it. He believed what God told him. He believed what God had said when they interacted. He believed what he had heard about God, what he had been taught about God. He believed all of it, not some of it, all of it. And he lived the life of a faithful man. And we read that and know that from his perspective, from God's perspective, And from all the people that he interacts with's perspective, they all recognized that he was a righteous man. They all recognized that he feared God, he was blameless and upright, that he wasn't passive, he was devout and moral, and he was above reproach, had a righteous reputation. It's a pretty good resume. But we have to remember, too, we're not called to put Job on a pedestal. That's not the point of the book, right? He was not a sinless man. Right? The only sinless man ever to exist was Christ himself. we got to remember that. But Job was a genuinely good man. One, one way to think about it is he was as faultless as a man can be. Man is a fallen creature. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right, But he was as faultless as a man could be. He was not every man. He was not your run-of-the-mill dude. That's not who Job was. He was unique. He was a unique man. God later declares that there is none like him on all the earth. We're going to see that next week and the week after. That there's none like him on all the earth. That's what he told Satan. Have you considered Job because he's special? It's clear, specifically from the descriptions that God gives, that Job is the delight of God. And we'll get to the test of Job later on in the book, But it's of note, and maybe you're studying ahead. I encourage you to study ahead, read this book, read it over, read it over, read it over. But it's interesting to note that God offered Job up. It's very interesting. It's it's critical to the book. It's critical to understanding what's going on, that God offered Job up. Satan didn't say, give me Job. Right? God said, hey, man, have you considered Job? Because he's a special guy. Why don't you check him out? When God pondered, this is something to chew on. When God pondered the question, who's the most righteous man that I can use in this situation? You think he didn't know that Satan was going to come? You think that he didn't know that Satan was wanting to, to test somebody? And God's thinking, who's the most righteous man that I can use in this situation? Job was his choice. And so if we think about that from the perspective of our own life, from the perspective of a believer, we should desire to be thought of so highly by God. If, if there, we'll get to this a little bit later, but if you can't hear it enough, that if there's a situation where, where God needs to use somebody, am I in a position where he would choose me? Or is he going to choose somebody else? Job was in a position where God uniquely chose him because he was a unique individual. So that tells us about the integrity of Job. The second thing is the purpose of Job. What's the whole purpose here? We have to understand that the genuine righteousness of Job, all these things that we just talked about, is essential to the book. It's essential to the story. It's essential to what's going on. His favor with God is key. We know that God is sovereign over all things and in control of all things. Everything that you have is from him. Your health, your job, your family, everything, you name it. Everything you have is from God. So what about Job? Well, we read in those five verses that Job had seven sons and three daughters. In Hebrew, right? these numbers are ideal numbers, perfect numbers. They represent completeness, and it's the sign of divine favor like This is the perfect family. That's what that says. We're not Hebrew, so we would never glean that from reading our English translation of, well, he had seven sons and three daughters. No, it's saying he had the perfect family. Almost like the 50s sitcom or the 50s television show where you got a husband and a wife and a son and a daughter. Like, this is a perfect family. But live in the suburbs, it's a perfect family. That's what this is saying right here. Seven sons and three daughters. God has shown favor on his family. It is a perfect setup. We're also told that he's got 7,000 sheep. Do you think about that? 7,000 sheep. When you were reading that, Titus, I was fully expecting you to go, dang, i going to miss a lot of sheep. 7,000 sheep. How would you like to have to get up and feed 7,000 sheep in the morning? <laughs> 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, which means 1,000. It's the best I can figure. A yoke's two. 1,000 oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, which means at a bare minimum, Enough servants to take care of all those animals. That's a lot of people. Could you feed 7,000 sheep in a day? One by one. Yeah. No. So you're going to have to have a lot of people to do that. Right? It's not a one-man show. I didn't have one guy for the sheep, one guy for the camels, one guy for the oxen, one guy for the donkeys. You got a lot of people. Scripture says that he was the greatest of the people of the East. All that means is it demonstrates Job's immense wealth. That's what he's talking about. Wealth was measured in livestock. So all this mention of sheep, camels, oxen, donkeys, and servants was similar to someone saying, this is what's in my investment portfolio. This is how much real estate I have. This is what my bank account says. This is what's in my 401k. This is what my pension is going to give me. That's what it's saying right here. It was a statement of wealth. And there's also something here that you need to pick up on is, Job's not a nomad right? It doesn't, he doesn't, he's not wandering from place to place. You don't wander from place to place with 7,000 sheep. You don't do it. Like, so that means that he has to have a substantial amount of land. I don't think Job's renting land from anybody. He's got a ton of land where he has all this livestock. So a better understanding of the greatest of the people of the east would be, if this was, if this was the English translation, Dave's English translation, it would say, and Job was the wealthiest guy on this side of town by a substantial lot, a lot. It tells us about his children. His children had the best of everything. Verse 4 implies that the sons had all their own houses and that routinely they would have parties and feasts at their home where their sisters would join them. Now the fact that they had, each had their own home is a shine of substantial wealth. Right? This is not the United States of America. It's the people aren't walking, running around with uh, each having their own house. But all of Job's children have their own house, right? And they don't just have their own house. It's not a little cottage. They're having magnificent feasts on a regular basis and inviting each other over. So all of this demonstrates on some level the blessing or the favor of God, however, however you want to define it, right? But, but God has blessed Job, and he is a very wealthy man. And that is critical to understand what's going on here. Because the life of Job presents the cast. He, he is the perfect example of the suffering that happens to all of individuals because he shows us what an innocent sufferer looks like. So you can't, jo- Job almost, the life of Job almost eliminates the question, why me? So many times when something happens to us, you're like, of all the people, like, why does this happen to me? Job's a perfect example. nothing 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 Job has done has brought this on himself. We'll look at more of that in the coming weeks. But his buddies come along, and they want to say, you dirty sinner, that's why stuff's happening to you. right?" But we read in these first five verses, that's not the case. He's a perfect example of an innocent sufferer. It shows us that sometimes God can use suffering for other reasons. That sometimes in a fallen world, you're just going to suffer. And so again, if I'm to live a life that's to be a shining light in a dark place, if I'm to be a representative, I need to understand how am I supposed to suffer? What's it supposed to look like? Because that guy over there that doesn't know Christ needs to know that something's different about that guy right there. And one of the easiest ways to demonstrate that is when everything's going wrong. I know, man, it's been several years now, but there was a kid at, I want to say that it was uh, CAK in Knoxville. And he, play, he played football. He's a really good football player. And he goes to Army, and he's a freshman on the football team at Army, and has a, some kind of brain incident on the field, not related to contact, not related to anything, dies. And the way that his mom handled that And the example that she set in the middle of that was like a shining, like people were like, what is going on here? Like your kid just died. How could you handle it in such a way? And it was a wonderful opportunity for her to share a testimony and have an impact on a whole lot of lives. And so when we experience suffering, it's important that we handle it the right way. And Job shows us that, guess what? You're going to suffer. The third thing that we see is the godliness of Job. And this is a big deal but we, we've already talked about how Job was a righteous man. And this, these verses, they tell us that Job's family often held feasts and celebrations, right? They're getting ready together and they're throwing down, having a big shindig, big parties on a regular basis. But notice that there's no mention, there's no disapproval of what they're doing. There's, there's none of this. And Job looked down on their parties. It's not in there. There's no mention of Job had lazy kids that just sat around and had banquets and ate and got fat all the time. It's not what it says. It doesn't say that when Job's kids had all these banquets, they drank like fish, and they were a bunch of drunkards. It's not what it says. It doesn't mention any sinful activity on a part of his family. But that, the lack of those things, makes verse 5 very interesting. It says, whenever, this, this translation says, whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job was in for his children and to purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. And so Job did these things regularly. It was his regular practice because he was concerned about his his children. After these feasts, he would consecrate his family. He would rise up early in the morning and he would offer burnt offerings for his entire family. And according to his own words... He says, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. I'm not sure that there is a larger statement or a more important statement about the character of Job than that sentence right there. Because it doesn't say that my children have sinned and I've got I to clean them up. He says, it may be that my children have sinned. He's not accusing them of anything. He just knows what the world holds, and he's fearful for his children. Maybe they did. I'm not accusing them. I don't think that they did, but maybe they did, and I want to protect them. He's not anxious or worried about his children, but he's aware of the danger that there is of slipping into sin. And so as a result, Job acts as a godly parent, and he makes doubly sure that all is well. And so we've mentioned that this was was prior to the Mosaic Law, right? But the head of the family was a priest. And I wanted to read you 1 Corinthians 11.3 because I think that still holds true today. It says, But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman and that God is the head of Christ. It just says that the man is responsible for the home. He's the priest of the home. And so as the head of the family... Job would offer sacrifices as an intercessor in order to restore the holiness of his children. That's what he was doing. And, and what the remarkable thing about that is it's, he, it wasn't... It, Job wasn't reactive. He was proactive. Again, he wasn't a passive man. He wasn't reacting on the things that his kids did. He was proactive just in case. He was trying to cover them every way possible. And there's a few interesting things going on here. The first is that the sin that Job feared that his children might fall into, right? He says that they may have cursed God in their hearts. They may may have cursed God. That's the same sin that Satan hopes that he can get Job to succumb to. And it's the same sin that Job's own wife will tempt him with, cursing God, which is interesting. Interesting. The second thing is, I think we've got, I don't want to read too much into it, but we've got an early shadow of Christ here in the book of Job. Because Job's acting as an intercessor or a mediator on behalf of his children. Later in Job chapter 9, he speaks of the idea of, he's like, I need a mediator. I need a mediator to argue for me. So Job knows that he needs a Savior. And that's the role that Christ fulfills 2,000 years later. So we get an early picture of, of the role of Christ, even way back in, in the book of Job. And so in addition to his priestly role, Dale's talked about this, I think we have to note, maybe highlight, underline, whatever you do as you take notes, but where it says, rise early in the morning in verse 5, that, that phrase is what's referred to as a Hebrew idiom, right? Or it's just a saying. It's a common expression that carries a meaning that you might n- not necessarily get from the actual words that are used. Right And so in this case, "Rise early in the morning," it's best understood, or what the meaning that it's trying to convey is all of his days, all of his days. I think it's a double meaning, because I do think Dale's onto something that rise in the morning" actually means rise early in the morning, because God's going to get the first of everything that I do. He's going to get the best of everything that I do, but it also means all of my days. Right? So in other words, what Job did for his children. That was a lifelong habit. He did it all the time. He did it consistently. We're not reading about a one-time occurrence. You know, Job had a really good day today, and so he offered sacrifices for his kids. No, this is what he did all the time. It's who Job was, right? His godliness was a part of his character. And again, that's crucial to the story, as we're going to see in the weeks to come, right? Job's godliness is crucial. It's an example for us to follow. So, what, is all, what does all of this mean for me? What does all this mean for you? You know, what, what we learned about Job, what kind of effect should that have on my life, right? I got five things for you. The first thing is that all of this information challenges us to believe Scripture. Job was a real man. And if he was a real man, and this is a real account, then we have to recognize the reality of both God and Satan as well. Job was real, that means God's real. And if Job was real, that means Satan's real. So Scripture confirms itself in many ways and forces us to recognize that all of Scripture is purposeful and errant, and therefore we can't pick and choose what to choose to believe or follow. It's the whole book or none of it. Second, Job is described as a blameless and upright man. And we have to recognize that as fallen creatures, we can attain sinlessness in this life, right? I'm a sinner. It's what I am. But the example of Job proves that we can be considered righteous. So no doubt that Job was unique. He was a unique individual. God said so himself. But he should serve as an example to us in godliness and righteousness. What does it look like to to be considered godly? It's right there in those five verses. What does it look like to be considered righteous? It's right there in those first five verses. That's the model to follow. Also, Job was the Lord's delight. Right? And we shouldn't seek to be the recipient of God's favor by way of material goods or wealth. Are those things nice to have? Yeah. But I'm not in this. That's, we're going to see in a couple of weeks that that's Satan's whole game. You're just in it for the stuff you can get from God. You're just in it because he's given you all these houses because you have this perfect family. That's why Job's in it. He's not worshiping you just because of who you are. He's worshiping you because he's got all this stuff. And he knows that if he shuts off the worship valve that you take all his stuff away. So we shouldn't fall into that same trap. We're not looking to be the recipient of just God's favor. That's not the point that I walk through that door. That's not the reason I come to worship. That's not the reason that I open the book. God's the giver of all good things, and He's going to determine how He chooses to bless me, how He chooses to bless you, as He sees fit. End of story. All, all of these things, like I'm, I'm working on like five different, or five different outlines at the same time, and they're all merging together in my head. But you're not in a position to barter, and we think we are. I'm not in a position to say, "All right, God, this is what I want from you." So, what do you want from me in return? Or, this is what I'm going to do if you'll give me this. I'm not in a position to barter. I'm just in a position to worship and serve. That's the only position that I'm in. And when I think and act like I'm in a position to barter, then all I've done is, is lessen who God is. And it's one thing to do that, On my skin, it's one thing to do that, and that the weight of that to be on my neck. But when I do that and model it to a guy that doesn't know who God is, now I got his blood on my hands and mine. Job was chosen by God on account of his righteousness, right? And we have to understand that just like God was moving in the day of Job, God is moving now in a multitude of ways. And we should desire to be at the top of his list for whatever task it is that he has on account of our righteousness. God's going to move. Me and Isaac were talking about that today as we were kids were playing in the snow. God's going to move. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting on my can, it's not going to stop God. But if he has an opportunity that I can be used, I need to be ready to be used. Because the only person that's going to lose out is if he passes over me, is me. While we haven't encountered the suffering of Job yet, these first five verses have set the stage for Job to serve as a prime example of his innocent sufferer. He's completely innocent. God moves in ways that we'll never expect, never expect, never understand. And a lot of times, this is can include suffering on our behalf it can include my suffering your suffering our suffering together it can include a lot of suffering Job's a reminder to us that we have to be prepared to suffer we got to be prepared to suffer by ourselves. we'll see later that, that everything is taken from Job he's a broken man all his relationships are broken everybody's left him if I when I get thrown not if, when I get thrown into this situation at some point in my life, when it comes down to the nitty gritty and it's just me and God, do I stand or do I turn my back on him? Job sets the example of what it looks like to stand. Lastly it says that Job was a godly man all of his days, which means he was intentional with his actions, he was intentional with his time, he was very conscious of what he was doing. There was no accident to it. He admirably served as an intercessor for his family. And so that begs the question, how seriously do we take our role as an intercessor? How seriously do we pray on behalf of others or on behalf of our family? Do we do it all of our days? Do we rise up early in the morning? Is it a constant habit of our life? Or is it something that we only do on a good day? And as convicting as this may be, I think the answer to that question ultimately reveals what we think about God. Because if I'm not doing the things that Job did, what am I saying about God? I'm saying, A, he's not capable, or B, he doesn't care. And we know that he cares, And we know that he's capable. So if we're not, we're just being incompetent. (laughs) Job was a godly man all of his days. We're called to be godly men and women all of our days. And if we're in a position as a believer with access to the very throne of God, why would we not use that? If you felt like you had any kind of influence and any kind of opportunities to speak in the President of the United States' ear about any issue, you would take that opportunity. If you thought you could have any type of influence on the things that he did. So if I have an opportunity to speak to God about my cares and concerns, to lift up my friends, my family, to lift up the people that don't know him, or just to get things off my chest when I'm suffering like Job does, why wouldn't I take that opportunity? Job, we know about Job. Those first five verses tell us about him. They tell us about his integrity. They tell us who he was. They tell us how faithful he was and how committed he was to God. They should challenge us to do everything we can to make sure that we're the same person. And as we move forward, it's those very things that are going to allow Job to stand firm in the middle of the fire, or in the middle of the storm. And so... Again, I think suffering's coming. I I stand before you, and I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> but I think suffering's coming. And so the question is, when we get thrown into the middle of it, are we going to be prepared? And you can't, you, don't, you can't say, well, I don't know, I don't know how to be prepared, because it's right here. <laughs> it's right here. Job sets the example. You want to know how to be prepared? Follow the example of Job. And we're going to see in the coming weeks that you know, he's getting ready to be tested. And we're going to watch his example and see how he lived. And it's going to provide us with the example of how we're supposed to live when we're suffering. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, this book. We thank you for, man, who you are. We thank you that you are the giver of all good things, the giver of all things. And Lord, I pray that we would recognize that everything that you give us, that everything that you allow to happen to us is a blessing. Whether we perceive it initially to be positive or negative, it's a blessing. It's an opportunity for you to teach us. It's an opportunity for us to grow closer to you. I pray as we move through this book that we'll be able to see your hand at work, not only in the life of Job, but also in our life. And then it will allow us to better understand who you are and to grow closer to you so that we can be the righteous example that Job was as we have an opportunity to interact with people who so desperately need to know you. Lord, I pray that you would bless this church. I pray that you would bless these people. That as we leave this place, that you would bless our weeks ahead and lord just i just pray that you would allow us to be bold in our faith and to give us opportunities to proclaim your name as we each go our own way in jesus name i pray amen to be continued